today. Go to Acts chapter 13. We're going to pick up our study of the uh, book of Acts that we have been preaching under the title Church Life. And uh, we've done our best uh, with each of the uh, messages to try and uh, tie it in uh, to church life in 2017. Uh, What we're going to see tonight is that really the day and age that we're living in isn't that much different than what it was like for the first century church. And we've got automation and we've got all these inventions and we've got all of that. But, but here, here's what I've come to realize. People are people. Amen. People are people. And uh, we're going we're gonna to see that tonight. Acts chapter 13. And uh, let's look in verse 42. Paul uh, had just finished preaching. Um, not his first sermon, I don't think, but it is the first sermon, his first sermon, that we have recorded for us in the Scriptures. And uh, he preached a great sermon there, and we looked at that, we examined that. And so here's how uh, things shake out uh, following the sermon. Verse 42, And when the Jews were gone out of the synagogue... The Gentiles besought that these words might be preached to them the next Sabbath. Now, when the congregation was broken up, many of the Jews and religious proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas, who, this would be Paul and Barnabas, speaking to them, persuaded them to continue In the grace of God. And the next Sabbath day came almost the whole city together to hear the word of God. But when the Jews saw the multitudes, they were filled with envy and spake against those things which were spoken by Paul, contradicting and blaspheming. Then Paul and Barnabas waxed bold and said, It was necessary that the word of God should first have been spoken to you. But seeing ye put it from you, and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, lo, we turn to the Gentiles. For so hath the Lord commanded us, saying, I have set thee, to be a light of the Gentiles, that thou shouldest be for salvation unto the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and glorified the word of the Lord, and as many as were ordained to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was published throughout all the region. Verse 50, but the Jews, there they are again, stirred up the devout and honorable women and the chief men of the city and raised persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them out of their coasts. But they shook off, that is Paul and Barnabas, shook off the dust of their feet against them and came unto Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with 
the Holy Ghost. Is there anyone here tonight who has a 100% success rate sharing the gospel? Anybody? I mean, you're batting a thousand in your Christian life. Everyone that you've ever talked to about Jesus, everyone that you've ever shared the gospel with has been saved. I mean, you're like batting a thousand. Nobody's ever said no. Everybody you've ever talked to has gotten saved. Anybody like that tonight? The fact that no one raised your hand, including me, I did raise my hand, but that was a gesture. Uh, I'm not batting a thousand. Not everybody that I have shared the gospel with has gotten saved. And I think that just goes to show tonight that even though we are centuries removed from the days of Paul and Barnabas, people and their varying responses to the gospel have not changed. The truth is that not every presentation of the gospel results in salvation. Sometimes the end result is rejection. Conflict is often as much a result as conversion. When we talk to someone about Jesus, as we see here in our text. And so with that in mind, I want to share some tips with you tonight with respect to witnessing, to sharing the gospel. So if you're taking notes, write this down. The first thing that I would say to you tonight is this, be realistic. Be realistic. As seen following Paul's message, there are basically three responses that we can expect. Sometimes people are going to respond with indifference. We're told in verse 43 uh, that following Paul's sermon, many, many followed him and Barnabas wanting to hear more. And that's good. But the fact that the Bible doesn't say all tells us that some were just not interested. Look at verse 44 again. In the next Sabbath day came almost the whole city together to hear the word of God. Again, the fact that almost the whole city came back is awesome. And the truth is tonight, that is the emphasis of the text. But may we be reminded that not everyone we share the gospel with is going to be interested. There will be many who will be completely indifferent. Maybe that has been your experience and you've, you've walked away discouraged because you just didn't understand how a message that great could be received with so much indifference. Many years ago, as a matter of fact, it was right after Tiffany was born. She was, she was an infant. I'm guessing it was probably in um, just a month or two after August, maybe September. Um, my dad was working on a harvest crew, and they were, 
were up north and, and, and they were finishing up there. And uh, many of you that have been in the church for a long time, you, you know this story. Um, my dad was, they were moving uh, the equipment and my dad was in the, uh, the lead truck. And uh, all of a sudden he heard on the CB, oh God, there's been a wreck. And if you're in a grain truck and you're pulling like a header behind you or whatever, you don't just stop and turn around. There's a little work to be done. you got to find a spot. And so my dad drove on up the road and, and finally found a place where he could turn around. He started heading back the other way, and, and he got back. He could see a, a fire, a vehicle was on fire. And make a long story short, the, the gentleman that actually owned the whole operation had, had ran head-on into a semi, and my dad got there just in time to watch that man burn alive in the pickup. My mom told me that story, and immediately I knew that when my dad got home, I had to talk to him about the Lord. I had not talked to him, to my shame, I had not talked to him one-on-one, -on -one, just a clear presentation of the gospel. But I knew that I had to do that. And I just knew in my heart that my dad, seeing what he saw, I mean, he was going to be ready to get saved when he got home. And so, again, if you, if you were here back in those days, I, for, for like three weeks, I asked the church, please pray with me about witnessing to my dad. And here's what I want you to pray specifically. I want you to pray that God would just throw the door wide open. And I prayed that every day, and I know many, many folks in this church prayed. My dad got home, he'd come to see his granddaughter, called TJ and Tyler in, they were just little guys, and they, uh, you know, did like little guys do, they kind of hung out a little bit, and then they were gone. Tiffany went to sleep, so Katie, Katie took her, and I knew that was my time, and I was scared to death. I don't know why. I just was. And so I can't even remember how I, I got into the conversation. But I remember asking my dad, Dad, what if that would have been you? And I, I just took that opportunity to tell him how to be saved. And it just blew my mind when I, I got to the end and said, Dad, do you want to be saved today? And I mean, it was just like, nah. How can you be so indifferent? You just saw a man burned to death. And that could have been you, and you would have been in hell. And I just shared with you the greatest story ever been written and how you could have gone to heaven if that would have been you. And, and he's, he's just there like, meh. Nah. I don't know why people sometimes are so incredibly indifferent. But I've got some ideas that I want to share with you. First of all, it could be that though you presented the truth, they just didn't see it. The Bible does say, and I mentioned this this morning, that the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them that believe not. And it could be that, uh, that though you shared it with them, they just don't see it. They don't get it. Or it could be that they just didn't see their condition. 
and thus their need for salvation. For some, it's an issue of arrogance, I think. In their minds, they just don't need the gospel. I mean, they're okay, I'm all right, everything's good, life's good, my health is good, my finances are good, I, 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 just, don't, I just don't need Jesus, thank you, but no thank you. I don't need the gospel. Regardless of the reason for their response, and some of you have experienced this, it can be very disheartening for the one who is genuinely concerned for them and with all their heart wants them to be saved. So what do you do at that point? Are you with me? I mean, you love someone and you want them so badly to receive Christ as their Savior and you lovingly and compassionately and, 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 and clearly lay out the gospel I mean, I'll be honest, as a pastor, there have been times I preached and I just, I just knew the Spirit of God was here and the Spirit of God was in the message and, and there was just a great Spirit here and to see people just that, that you know are lost, just walk out the door. It can be discouraging. It can be disheartening. So again, at that point, what do you do? Well, first of all, you don't quit. Amen? Don't quit. Be willing to engage in conversation any time the opportunity presents itself. Secondly, as the opportunity arises, try to subtly or not so subtly make connections with what is happening in their world to the gospel. Now, that's what I did that afternoon at, at my house over on Beach Street, 310 Beach Street. When my dad came to visit, I made a connection between what had just happened in his life to the gospel. He had saw this man burn alive and die in, a, in, in an accident, and so I'm making connection to that, to the gospel. Here are a couple other uh, times. Just last summer, myself, my brother-in-law, Harold, and Al Sill took a motorcycle trip to Colorado. And one night, on our, the one leg of our journey, we spent the night in Glenwood Springs. And we got there, and Al wasn't feeling real well, and so he didn't go to supper, so it was just my brother-in-law, Harold, and I. And, and God had convicted me so many times about talking to my brother-in-law about the Lord, and, and, and I knew that, that at some point I, I really needed to do that. I, I felt like I had a responsibility to do that. And so that night, we, we found the place we were going to eat, and we went in, we sat down, and we ate. And after we got through eating, he said, can I ask you something? I said, sure. He said, what do you think about cremation? He said, Joyce and I were talking, and she wants this big funeral, and I just told her, listen, just cremate me. I'm not going to be there anyway. And so I, I talked to him a little bit about my personal opinion, my personal thoughts about it, and, and tried to, uh, some, I tried to share some biblical principles with him that I thought would apply to that. And then I asked him this. I said, can I ask you something? He said, sure. 
I said, you told Joyce you weren't going to be there anyway. Where do you think you're going to be? You see what I did just then? I just connected what was going on in his life to the gospel. And I'm glad he said, well, honestly, I think I'll be in heaven. I said, well, tell me about that. How do you, how, why do you feel that way? And he told me about when him and my sister and, and his sister and brother-in-law a number of years ago went to a Billy Graham crusade. And he said, I remember he was preaching about Jesus and Jesus died on the cross for our sins and Jesus was willing to forgive us of our sins. And, and, and he asked us at the end of the service, if we want to receive Christ as our Savior, then, then he led us in prayer. What am I supposed to say to that? What am I supposed to say? Yeah, you're not saved. Take the man at his word. But the point is, we've got to look for opportunities to make connection between what's going on in somebody's life. We're talking about people that have been indifferent. Okay? They, they, they just haven't really wanted what you've had. And, and, and so you're not going to quit. And you're going to use every opportunity you have to talk to them again. So you're going to try to make a connection with what's going on in their life to the gospel. Here's, a, here's another example that I'll move on. A few years ago, um, one of our, our police officers was taking his mother to Kansas City for some very serious cancer surgery. and So I asked him if I could pray with them before they left. And he said, I'll talk to my mom. And he texted me. He said, Mom said that would be fine. And Mom had been here on a, a number of occasions. She'd heard the gospel. And so I went over there that morning. It was, at, I don't know, 9 or 10 o'clock. And they were, they were going to leave shortly after that. And, and uh, so I said, Andy, you, you mind if I had a word of prayer with you? And, and she said, no, that'd be great. And I said, but before I pray, let me, let me just ask you this. God forbid... Things don't turn out the way we want them to turn out with this surgery. Do you know where you would spend eternity? And she said, no. I said, would you like to? She said, yes, I would. You see, what was going on in her life at that moment was something very serious. And so it was very easy for me to tie what was going on in her life to the gospel. And so we need to be looking for, for those opportunities where we can do that exact thing. Make a tie between the gospel and what's going on in, in their life. That's a long story. Maybe you've got a friend right now or, or maybe a family member who's going through something that, that you've gone through. Maybe they're having some difficulties in their marriage or a, dif a financial difficulty or a health difficulty or, or whatever, and, and, and they're just struggling through that. Here's what I would encourage you to do tonight. Use that to make a connection to the gospel by telling them how the Lord helped you through it. Because at some point, if they're a close friend, a close relative, and they know your story, they're going to want to know, how did you deal with that? Well, if you really want to know, I'll tell you. 
What a great opportunity to tell them what Jesus has done for you. And at the end, say, you know, Jesus can do that for you too. And so we're not going to quit. Well, they didn't want to hear it, so I'm just going to quit. Don't quit. No, 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 don't quit. And then I would say this, be patient. Prayerfully so. Continue to pray. Now, while some are indifferent to the gospel, others are going to show interest. There were a, a group of Gentiles that, that heard Paul that day who besought or they begged to hear more the next Sabbath day. Verse 42, many of the Jews and religious proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas. Verse 44. When the next Sabbath day rolled around, again, verse 44, almost the whole city gathered together. Why? Because they were interested in what these men of God had to say. Listen, not everybody you talk to about Jesus is going to be indifferent. Some of them are going to be interested. And I understand tonight that that mere interest in something does not necessarily guarantee that everyone will be saved. But listen, some will. That's the third response. Indifference. Some are going to be interested. And some are going to get saved. Praise the Lord. Look at verse 48. And when the Gentiles heard this, They were glad and glorified the word of the Lord, and as many as were ordained to eternal life believed. Now, this is the ultimate end of every gospel presentation. But it's not always the way it goes. We want it to go that way, amen? But that's not the way it always goes. Not everyone shows interest and gets saved. Sadly, this is the fourth response, some show indignation and get hostile. Now, if you were here Wednesday night, I followed up Brother Paul's message by saying that 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 is seldom the response, and that's been my experience. I've never, ever, ever, ever had anybody, family or otherwise, get mad at me and get infuriated with me and get hostile toward me and tell me just to get out of their life and get out of their face and take that book and take that Jesus and take your church and blah. I've never had that happen to me. Okay? I, I personally do not think that that is the majority response. Sometimes, sometimes that may be the response as it was here. Look at verse 45. But when the Jews saw the multitudes, they were filled with envy and spake against those things which were spoken by Paul, contradicting and blaspheming. Verse 50, but the Jews stirred up the devout and honorable women and the chief men of the city and raised persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them out of their coast. So yes, sometimes a presentation of the gospel, whether it's by a pastor from the pulpit or whether it's by a layman uh, across the, the picnic table or across the living room table or the kitchen table or, or wherever you are, sometimes people are just going to get ticked off about that. And let me tell you why. Number one, it could be because they're insecure. They're, they're feeling threatened. 
I think that's the case here. These, these Jews saw all of these, these people flocking to, it's like the ministry of Jesus, and, and they saw all these people flocking to Paul and Barnabas, and they were envious. They were insecure. Well, where's our, where's our ministry going to go? Where's our church going to go? Where's our people? Look, they're all following them. What are we going to do? And people get, people get insecure. They, they feel threatened. What you're doing is you're invading their comfort zone. And when you invade someone's comfort zone, sometimes a response can be hostile. Not only was their comfort zone being threatened, so was their self-righteousness. I mean, you've got to understand who we're talking about here. We're talking about Jews who thought that they were okay spiritually because of their religion. Well, we do all of these religious things. And these, these people were good. They were comfortable. They didn't want to entertain the thought that maybe, just maybe, they were wrong. I mean, how dare you come in here talking about this Jesus and preaching this Jesus. He's, he's, he's dead. He's gone. We're through with him. We hung him on a cross. We worship God and we serve God. And we've got law and we've got Moses and the prophets and the law. And we don't need any of that. How many of you know that the gospel has a way of destroying self-righteousness? Absolutely. And listen, when you begin to share the truth with someone about how salvation is by grace and not of works. And they begin to see that what they have believed for years was going to get them to heaven really wasn't going to get them to heaven. And not only was it going to get them to heaven, but that it didn't get their friends to heaven. That can result in some negative feelings and responses remember we're talking about being realistic and, and I'm trying to be realistic with you tonight that that can happen here's the second reason Paul and Barnabas met with hostility and really I think this is this is at the heart of it these people were at odds with God they thought they were friends with God they thought they were were were, were good with God but they were really at odds with God the Bible calls it enmity. Colossians 1.21, and you, that were sometimes, this would be prior to our salvation, alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled. A man by the name of Donald Fortner writes in his book, Life After Pentecost, A Guide to the Acts of the Apostles. He said that a person's rejection of the gospel, the rejection of Christ, is a decided, deliberate act of his own will. The unbelieving heart is so obstinately proud that it chooses destruction before it will bow to the rule of Christ. Paraphrased, I'll go to hell before I'll humble myself before Jesus. And there are some people out there that are that arrogant and that prideful and that stubborn that they will not admit their need of salvation. Again, there may be some folks that get angry. 
Um, thankfully, that's never been to this point anyway. That's never been my experience, but it might happen. So when you and I, and listen, I don't want to try to paint a rosy picture that every time you open this book and talk to somebody about the Lord, they're going to get saved. I want you to be realistic, and re reality says that's not going to happen. Here's the second thing, be resolved. Be resolved, verse 51. But they shook off the dust of their feet against them and came unto Iconium. Now, it doesn't look like it, but this is serious stuff right here. There are consequences for those who refuse to believe. And this is one of those consequences. Let me try to explain the significance of what these men did when the Bible says they, they shook off the dust of their feet. That goes all the way uh, uh, back to the Old Testament and a tradition that the Jews had whenever they would leave the promised land and, and venture somewhere beyond the promised land, perhaps into Gentile country. Before they would step back into the promised land, they would, shook, they would shake the dust off of their shoes, showing their contempt for the pagan whose land they had just come from. And so these Jews would have known exactly what Paul and Barnabas meant when they saw them shake the dust off of their feet. Luke chapter 9 and verse 5 and chapter 10 and verse 11 says, And whosoever will not receive you, when you go out of that city, shake off the very dust from your feet for a testimony against them. Even the very dust of your city, which cleaveth on us, we do wipe off against you. Notwithstanding, be sure of this, that the kingdom of God is come nigh unto you. In other words, you just remember this, you had your chance. You had your opportunity. By their act, Paul and Barnabas were saying, in effect, that they considered the Jews at Antioch no better than the pagans. There could be no stronger condemnation. Those Jews were left in their obstinate unbelief. Now, here's the application, I think, to us. There comes a time when you understand that, con that to continue to try and reach some people is the equivalent of just casting your pearls before, before swine. Because they are so obstinate in their unbelief as the Jews in Antioch were. And so, folks, listen. Sometimes you just got to move on. Sometimes they're, they're just, they've, they've shown us or, or, or they've said, perhaps in so many words, no, it's never going to happen. You just move on. But don't lose hope. Don't lose hope. Stay hopeful. Verse 52, and the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Ghost. Even in spite of the fact that so many around them were acting in hostility toward the message of the gospel as it was preached to them, there was a group, there was a group who believed 
and they received the truth and they were filled with joy. So just because this person said no, don't let that keep you from talking to this person or that person or that person. As Paul and Silas started for Iconium, they left behind them two completely different groups of people. The rejecting, prejudiced, hate-filled unbelievers and the joyous, spirit-filled believers. Let me offer you one more thought before I close tonight. I encourage you to be realistic. I encourage you to, to be resolved and stay hopeful. And to that I would add this tonight. Be responsible. Be responsible. By that I mean do not stop telling people about Jesus. I don't care how many times you've been told no, or how many times people haven't responded, God doesn't give us the right to stop talking to people about the gospel. In spite of the possible responses, don't lose sight of your responsibility to witness and to win souls. And I'll close with this. We are not guaranteed to win everyone we share the gospel with. But we are guaranteed not to win anyone we don't share the gospel with. I'll guarantee you, you will not win one soul to Christ if you don't share the gospel with them. I can guarantee that. I can't guarantee that you will win everyone, but you may win someone. And to that someone, that's important. And to God, that's important.